Welcome to House Highlights, a weekly Facebook livecast and podcast focused on Maryland politics. I'm Eric Ludke, Majority Leader of the Maryland House of Delegates. And each week I interview one of my amazing colleagues to help you learn more about them and the work they're doing. You can tune in live each Tuesday at 6 p.m. on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Eric for Maryland. And you can watch recorded interviews on that same Facebook page or listen to them in podcast format on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever other bizarre podcast program you use. Uh, those of you who are watching online will, will notice that I am back home after last week's brief sojourn from my office in Annapolis. And yes, the Valentine's Day tree is still up. I had to explain it to Delegate Belcastro before we got into this. We were we were postulating whether it's going to become a, a St. Patty's Day tree or a Mardi Gras tree next. We'll see. Um, this week is freshman, or this month is freshman February on House Highlights. Uh, the House of Delegates has seen this unprecedented turnover over the last couple of election cycles. And we have, a, uh, as my Senator Craig Zucker would put it, a huge number of newer legislators in the House who, who I have to tell you, have hit the ground running, are doing amazing work, have brought new energy to the House. I love it. Um, but, you know, because some of them are newer, you know, they haven't been introduced to people yet. And, and so we want to take this opportunity to interest, introduce some of the, the newest of them to you. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking with four of the most recent appointees to the House of Delegates. Um, so you can learn a little bit more about them. This week, we are highlighting Delegate Lisa Bel Castro from District 11 in beautiful Baltimore County. She is an educator extraordinaire. Um, she is originally from Chicago. I will try to mock her for that later. Um, and uh, and she, she is one of our newest members and, and this is her first full session, the session we're in right now. So welcome to House Highlights, Delegate Bel Castro. Thank you very much for having me. And I really look forward to when that tree behind you turns into a St. Patrick's Day tree. I'll be watching out for that. But thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I, my wife is actually Irish, so I would not be surprised if it does turn into a St. Patrick's Day tree. Our youngest son's name is Liam. You know, like we this is we celebrate Irish things in this household. So That's we'll not coming down. That's it's it's gonna be there all year. <laughs> hey, good news is we won't have to put it up next next holiday. That's true. Right? That's true. <laughs> So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What do you do outside of legislative work? And why'd you, uh, why'd you put your name forward to, to join the House? Okay, that's three questions in a row. I'm going to try my best to remember all of them. <laughs> um, so I, it's going to sound like I, I, was, I grew up as a military kid. My dad was working uh, for Best Buy just as Best Buy was taking off. So I was born in Chicago, but we quickly moved to Michigan, two different places in Ohio. And then when I was in fourth grade, we finally settled down in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, and then I ended up going to school in Pittsburgh and right after Pittsburgh, I ended up in Maryland. Um, oh, wow. I did. I already forget, forgot the next two. What was next? No, no problem. So what do you do outside of the legislature? Oh, yeah. So uh, I am an adapted physical education teacher. It is the best job. So much fun. I get to work with kids with disabilities all day, every day, uh, teaching them, adapting the physical education curriculum for them. It's, it really is the best job in the world. I really do love it. Um, but in terms of becoming a legislator, I, uh, my, my very first year as a teacher, I found out that I was going to be teaching in a hallway. I found out that I was going to have not very many dollars allocated to my class. And, um, you know, I knew that that something was, there was a huge disconnect. So it just set me on this path from year one of trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, and, and here I am eight years later. <laughs> so it's, it's been quite a ride. I, I, I find myself totally relating to your experience. My 
student teaching experience was in a building that had been built, I don't know, sometime in the 12th century. And, you know, the, the classroom I was in had one of those old, like, fabric folding walls. So anything that was going on in the classroom next door, you could hear in, in my classroom. And I mean, it was, it was, I mean, that's one of the reasons I got involved too, was, was it's, you know, you want to do your best for the kids, but you need resources to do it. And sometimes they're just not there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I heard, That's right. You're a teacher. When did you transition? I know that this is, you're supposed to be interviewing me, but when did you transition out of uh, teaching and into a job like this or into the legislature? Yeah, I mean, I so I got involved in advocacy pretty quickly after I became a teacher. I mean, I had actually been an advocate, an environmental advocate when I was in high school. I was trained as an organizer by the Sierra Club. Um, and then, you know, when I became a teacher, got recruited into the, the teachers union in my county and got active through that. Um, so I was in the classroom for, I guess, five and a half years before I ran for office. And then okay. another five and a half years after I was elected, you know, doing what you're doing, right? Juggling the two jobs, which, you know, it, it's, it's a challenge. But one of the things I love about the part-time legislature is we can bring in all of these experiences from our, you know, I, I don't know if it's the right way to put it, real world jobs, and it informs the policymaking we're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I really, uh, I really appreciate the fact that I can still remain as a teacher and be in this job because every I'm constantly reminded of what needs to be corrected within the school system. I see it every day. I'm a part of it. Um, I'm interacting with the kids. So I really feel like I have my finger on the pulse um, by still being in the classroom, but also being in the legislature. So I, I am really thankful for that opportunity. Yeah, I'll tell you, you've got two of the best jobs in the world. I, I, I 100% convinced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so I, I think, you know, for a lot of uh, people out there, um, special ed generally might be something that they don't have a deep understanding of. And, and adaptive PE in particular is a really important field of, of special ed. Can you talk a little bit more about what adaptive PE is, what, what adaptive PE teachers try to do and, and, and why it's important for kids? Mm -hmm. So we, my job exclusively is to just work with kids with disabilities and making sure that we're adapting the physical education curriculum to meet their needs. And um, the part of the job that I really love the most, it's really allowed me to be creative. So I work with kids that maybe they can only move their fingers a little bit, maybe they can only move their arms a little bit, but I still have to find ways to make the PE curriculum work for them. Guess what's in the curriculum? Things like archery, things like soccer, things like that. You have to find a way, you, no kids sit on the sideline. You've got to find a way to make that work. Um, and so what I've really enjoyed doing, and I've gotten pretty good at, is making my own pieces of equipment to allow these kids to independently participate in these activities. So one of the, I've gotten really good at working with PVC pipe and uh, I, I started designing equipment, making equipment. And, and the, the best design that I have is this adapted archery bow where uh, it's on a, it's, a, it's an archery bow on a stand and, and then it has this arm it's hard to explain if, if you can't see it, but um, I have some students that can only maybe move their arm just forward just a little bit and they can pull it back. But with this stand, what they can do is if they can, they can entangle their hand around the, um, around the grip, when they move their hand forward, it makes the bow go to the right. When they move their hand back, it makes the bow go to the left. And then with their other hand, all they have to do, it's really light. I use a chopstick. They just have to pull back a little bit and it sends the arrow flying. And the reason we got to that was because before we had a crossbow on a table and all they had to do was hit a button and it would send the arrow flying, but they're not doing what their other peers are doing, right? They're not working on aim, they're not working on strategy. So we have to find a way to allow them to still 
hit all of those components. Um, and so through building equipment, I found ways to allow them to be independent, allow them to still hit the same objectives as their peers, be assessed on the same objectives as their peers. It's really, that's my favorite part about the job is, is really doing that critical thinking um, to figure out how to make um, that activities work for them. That's, that's awesome. I, I'll tell you, I, uh, I, was, I was a general educator. I taught inclusion classes. For those of you who don't know, that's mixed uh, student body. So we had, I co-taught classes with a special ed educator, but I wasn't a special ed teacher myself. I think some of the most creative teaching that goes on is special educators finding ways to adapt curriculum. And I think one of the big untold stories of the last 50 years is this I mean, frankly, tremendous civil rights victory that that special ed represents, right? That that a, a lot of kids who are served in schools today didn't get to go to school at all 50 mm -hmm. years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're to the point where we, we are uh, good enough at, at adapting and following through on the federal civil rights law, IDEA, that requires special ed, that, that you know, kids with severe disabilities are able to participate in PE, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no one sits on the sidelines, you know, and it's just, I firmly believe that any student, regardless of your ability, can do whatever it is you need them to do, whatever it is that whatever the activity is, you've just got to be creative enough to find it. And teachers are creative, whether it's special ed, whether it's gen ed, that's one thing that we, I mean, we're great at lots of things, but we always will have that, that creativity piece. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, well, we may circle back to this later because I, I have a longstanding theory that educators make great legislators. We'll we'll, we'll circle back to that. But okay, I, I'm great. curious. I'm I'm uh you know I'm not in the classroom anymore. I teach I teach on a college campus, which is a totally different job. Um, and uh, frankly, uh, easier. I you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. <laughs> um, but um, you've been a, a K twelve teacher during this pandemic, which has upended schools and I know you've been teaching remotely what's that been like as, as an educator trying to figure out how to teach remotely there are positives to this to what we've been going through and there's absolutely negatives to what we've been going through I will I'll start with the positives my tech skills are through the roof right now and and what's exciting is that I already have so many ideas that I can bring back to the classroom and and I know that as I talk to my colleagues same things. We're being forced to utilize this tech in a way that we we've never had to do before, um, and it's just sent our tech skills through the roof. So personally, I already the, the wheels are already turning about how I can take these new skills that I've learned back into a classroom when we do transition back in. Um, but you know, some of the negatives being a special education teacher, it's it it is not great. There's there's some kids that it's working for. There's some kids that this just is not working for, and and um, the virtual setting never will. We're trying our best, um, but uh, yeah, it's been a difficult time trying to adapt for all kids. But the positive is that there's a lot that we're that we can take away and things that we can bring back into the classroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I'll tell you the. Um... I mean, I, I think the pandemic has forced a lot of people to adapt to, to new technologies. Mm -hmm. I was thinking the other day, so um, my mom was a, a teacher for a couple of years back in the 60s. And when she was at Gettysburg College getting her teaching degree, she got she had some coursework to learn how to use this newfangled device called an overhead projector, which I was <laughs> using when I started teaching in 2004, we still had overheads, right? Yeah. And the, the, the level of instructional technology that has been introduced to the classroom in the last couple of decades has been extraordinary. And now this pandemic has forced, I mean, just a rethinking of how we use technology in the classroom. I'm, 
I'm curious to see what the long-term impact of that is, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Man, overhead projectors. I remember uh, that's what we utilize. I, I never used it as a teacher, but as a student, when I was in school, we absolutely utilized them. So I remember that. But yeah, there's a lot of positive that, positives that you can take away from it. Um, you know, we've had the opportunity to look at um, we, what one, one of the things that we've done in, in my classes, I've gotten really good at the green screen, um, mm-hmm. and utilizing the green screen behind me. So we've done a bunch of, we, we toured all the different national parks across the, um, across the country. So we've learned about the different national parks. You can put videos that play on your green screen and it's like, you're running, um, you're running the different trails within the national parks. You can really like set a scene. So, yeah, and I know talking to my colleagues that they've done some really unique things as well. So, um, a lot of positives to take away and people, teachers really truly are adapting and working so hard during this time to adapt so um, a lot of good takeaways a lot of hard work is being done during this time yeah I mean I, I I'll tell you I, I have four kids um, and I they've been lucky to have good teachers all through their education but I've never seen teachers work harder than their teachers have been working this year and and making themselves available in evenings and weekends I mean I I uh I, I know it's been, di- I, I hear from, you know, friends who are still in the classroom. I know it's been difficult for people, but Maryland's teachers have been working their butts off. And, um, you know, I, 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 as one parent, and I'm sure most parents would agree, I am so thankful for you and your colleagues who are, who are in the classroom. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, we're, we're working hard. All right. So uh, you were appointed to the House of Delegates at a really odd time. You joined us uh, basically right before the COVID-19 pandemic hit and then, you know, the legislature rushed through um, uh, what legislation we could, we needed to get done urgently. And then we ended up closing early for the first time since the Civil War. I, you have had a totally unique experience coming in as a, as a freshman. What, what's your experience been like coming into the legislature? Um, all right. So I came in on March 10th. By March 12th, the schools were closing. And uh COVID was really breaking out. Everyone, it was the most, the best way to describe it, it was the most surreal nine days of my life. So I only had nine days in Annapolis. Um, The craziest nine days of my life. Um, I remember there was this one day, I I couldn't even find the garage. Like, and and everyone was so busy. I couldn't get to the garage to find my car. Thankfully, uh, uh, not everyone will know him, but Jeremy Baker, I found Jeremy Baker in the hallway and he was able to get me down to the, to the garage and find my car. But, uh, yeah, it was a crazy time, but I'm really proud of my, uh, staffer, Tyler. We, we, we really, we hit the ground running and I have some background in, in constituent services and government. I worked, um, for councilman Izzy Patoka prior to this job at part-time, um, doing constituent services. So we felt really good about that piece of it. Um, and we hit the ground running and, and thank goodness that we had, the, I had that background in constituent services because more than ever, people have really needed it. Um, so we, we hit the ground running in that aspect, but crazy time to come in. Um, everyone's been wonderful and trying to get me up to speed. So I'm just really thankful for my colleagues and um, it is what it is. You roll with the punches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you hit the nail on the head I, with constituent services. I, this has been I think this 12 month period, the most intense constituent services I've seen in in a decade in the legislature, right? And, you know, people with unemployment insurance challenges, just trying to get money to to put food on the table and pay rent, people whose businesses are are really suffering and are trying to figure out how to get grants and loans people. Now it's it's people who are trying to figure out how to get a vaccine. Um, And, you know, I I think we've all had to be creative, but you were you were for a while um, posting about uh, what was available at at grocery stores, right? That was early on in the pandemic. 
So I think that this was uh, this this goes back to to me being a teacher and how those those two have kind of crossed. Um, I use an app called Canva a lot for teaching to make different graphics and um, just to, to you know spice up teaching and, and make things more aesthetically pleasing. Um, and so I, I recognized really quickly that I was struggling to find myself things like toilet paper, things like paper towels, chicken, eggs. And, and I found that I was going to, I, one day I went to four different stores just to get some really basic items. And I recognized in that, that not only was I exposing myself to all these different locations, I was, I was exposing myself to all these other people in these different locations as I'm trying to find all these different items that I need for my home. And so I thought, well, maybe we can cut, cut, cut down on some of that spread. Maybe we can cut down, make people safer if they just knew where they had to go to get the items. Like if you knew that, all right, this store has my eggs and toilet paper, this store has my paper towels and, and fresh vegetables. Then you're only going to two stores instead of five or four. Um, so we put it out. I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was gonna turn into as big of a thing as it did. <laughs> I made the graphic one day and I was just gonna see how, uh, how things turned out, but oh my gosh, it blew up and, and it was shared all these different times. And then it got to the point where if I didn't post it right at nine in the morning, each morning, people were messaging me, asking me, where's the report? Where's the report? So it spiraled into this really big thing. Um, but I'm really thankful. I, I, I'm glad that it did. I, I think my staffer, Tyler, uh, was, was happy when toilet paper was back in stock and uh, eggs were back on the shelves because he didn't have to wake up at, you know, seven in the morning and start calling grocery stores to find everything. But uh <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a good thing. That was the very, one of the very first things we did after the session ended. It's, I, I'll tell you, this is I, one of my arguments for why educators make great legislators is, I mean, the, the job of being an educator is, is problem solving, right? You're, you're solving a hundred problems a day in the classroom and, and, you know, that sort of skill set of creative problem solving really helps in the legislature, right? When it's constituent services like that, or when it's, you know, you've got a policy issue and, and you're trying to introduce a, a bill to, to deal with it. So uh, let me ask you, can you get to the garage now? Yes, yes. And you know what I will say that I, even, even after he showed me, I struggled for a little bit because there's LG and UG and mm -hmm. I'm on the lower level. And so for the longest time I, I was going to UG because I thought I was underground, but so I would get off at UG, walk around and can't not find my car. LG lower ground. So now I've got it. It's, it. There's no issues now, but it took me a few tries. <laughs> you know what? I don't feel bad. I did the exact same thing when okay. I first found like I would go to the, the upper garage and have to walk down that little tiny ramp down, down to the lower That's garage. Safe. It's not. That's it's, not safe. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it is, um, I mean, the, the legislature is is a, an interesting beast and there's a lot to learn about it and and you know everybody goes through that that process of, of learning it and and you know you were saying before we started it's you know learning the the legislative process too right it's how a bill becomes a law is not quite as simple as schoolhouse rocks makes it out to be what, what how's that uh experience of learning that process been it's been it's been good um and and again I'll, I'll i'll say what i said earlier i'm really thankful for my colleagues down here in annapolis because there's so many people who are just much more seasoned than me people like yourself who are willing to to answer my questions who are willing to mentor younger legislators and show them the way and so um that's that's what's really 
there is no training once you get maybe there is and I missed it because I came in and halfway through the session or halfway through a term, but there is no training and, and you have to rely on your colleagues like yourself to 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 mold you to show you the way and and i'm really thankful that there's a lot of people around me that are willing to do that yeah it's um i i had what i had the 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 um honor when i came in of uh serving with some really great people who you know i've left since mostly left the legislature um but one of them was sheila hickson who was chair of the ways and means committee at the time and and was the grand dame of annapolis i mean she'd been around since the late 70s and uh and she gave me i mean similarly a lot of really good advice one of the best pieces of advice i got particularly for floor sessions when we're debating things on the floor she told me watch the people who when they stand up the whole room gets quiet and everybody listens right they're the ones that that really know what they're doing so i spent you know my first few years in the legislature spending a lot of time watching you know adrian jones before she was speaker and and uh maggie mcintosh and derek davis and i mean these people who are just extraordinarily good and you can you just learn so much from watching those people you know i'm gonna take that one and i'm gonna pay attention to that when we start getting on the floor next week see who uh so, well, it might be a little bit more quieter in the chamber this year though, with us having the two, uh, having the annex in the chamber, but I am going to take that one and I'm going to pay attention to it. It's a good one. The, the other piece of advice she gave me that was a little bit funnier was that you spend your first week in the legislature wondering how you managed to get there and the rest of your time wondering how the rest of these people managed to get there. <laughs> so that, so one, you, that one might take me a little longer to get, but I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep that one in the back of the head too. No, I mean, look, there's plenty of jokes about politicians, but I, 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 I will put um, the the people that serve with us uh, in in my highest ranks of heroes. Like, I, I think the the work that goes on in the legislature for all the, you know, bad talk about politicians in the press and the jokes about politicians, like the the, the you know, the people we serve with are public servants, right? And they and they give so much to this job. And I, uh, I don't know, I ten years in, and I still feel honored to to serve with them every day. That was one of the, like I said, one of the first things that I learned, just there, there are a lot of hardworking people here, a lot of really dedicated people who are um, just really selfless and wanting to do the work of the people. And, and, and I admire that. So, so you have introduced, as of when I checked the website, like yesterday, you had already introduced three bills. I don't know if you've introduced more since then. Um, but one of them I noticed, which caught my eye, was to set up a Maryland Suicide Fatality Review Committee. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, what the bill does and, and, and why it's important? Mm -hmm. So um, what the bill would do is it would first establish the committee and then give the committee the authority to collect data on specific, on specific suicides that they can then review. Um, and the reason that this is important is because when we, 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 suicides have been going off up, up in Maryland, they've been going up across the nation. And when we ask that question of, well, how do we fix it? That's a really difficult question to answer. So what this would do is it would identify the different trends. Once they review the different suicides that happen in Maryland, it they would find the different trends. And then when you start to see those trends, it gives you a path forward for how you can start to bring those numbers down. And so the best example that I can give is they did something similar to this in Washington County, Oregon. And one of the trends that they found was that a high number of people that went to drop their dogs off at shelters then went on to commit suicide right after. Oh. So what, what they, they did is they started training 
the, the individuals that worked at the shelters to identify distress to also just be one of those touch points um, so that it can, you, it's, it's an intervention point that hopefully we can then start to bring that rate of suicide down. So this, this would, that's just one example of a trend that would come out of a committee like this. Um, but I think there's a lot of different trends that we can identify um, through a committee like this. And we can really start to answer that question of how, how do we start to bring that number down? That's great. That's great. I love that idea. I, I'll tell you, I, um, I, I've had within my family multiple um, attempted suicides, and um, and it's it's uh, it's it's such a tough issue because I think universally everyone wants to help, mm-hmm. but we 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 don't always know how or have the right resources or have the right people in place at the right time to notice something's off and do something about it. And so I love the idea of, of trying to identify those touch points and, and intervene. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's one of those, it, it's, this is, issue has touched everyone. You, if it hasn't directly impacted your immediate family, it's, it's someone that you know, who knows someone close to you that that's been touched by something like suicide. So it's an issue that resonates with a lot of people. Um, and, and again, I just think it's, it's something important. Um, we have to start to be able to answer that how, how do we bring that number down? Because we can't allow that number to continue to rise like it's been. Yeah, well, I, kudos. I, I love the bill. Um, and I think that's a fantastic bill to be well, working on. If you on. can help me get it out of the drawer. <laughs> All right, well, I will, I, will, I will say a word to whoever you need me to say a word to. I, I love it. So on a more uh, flippant topic, uh, we, we usually do a series of questions at the end of our interviews because we're running out of time here. Um, and we start with some true or false questions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, throw you a couple true or false questions. We'll start with this. So you, you worked, as you said, for um, Baltimore County Councilman Izzy Patoka. Um, so be, true or false, because you once worked for a guy named Izzy, we can call you Delegate Busy. Sure. Wait, is there something I'm missing? Is there no, like a no, but no. you said yes, so that's your nickname now. Great. Okay, great. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay. Um, next up, true or false? You make some darn good jerky. So false. And and do I need to give context to this? Yes. Okay. All right. So I did start um I did a project one summer called Charm City House of Jerky. And it was because I wanted to find, I was sick of and tired of my students transitioning out of the school system and not being able to transition into jobs. And so I got the idea of, all right, I'm gonna take this into my own hands. Uh, farmers markets were really blowing up at the time. Um, and I, these kids can do anything. Kids with special needs can do anything. We just, there's not a world that's really conducive to them. Um, and we need to try and find creative ways to, to create jobs for them that, that they can do because they can do it. So anyways, I chose jerky because this company was willing to work with me and also the packaging had really unique labels on all the different types of jerky. And so I was able to use um, a program called Square on my iPad. I'd take pictures of all the different packages that became the the buttons on the POS and someone would come and shop the stand. They would bring their stack of jerky to um, whichever student with autism was working the was working the stand that day. They put it in this one pile. They pick up one they'd see the color of the packaging, they'd be able to identify it on the POS system, and then they had a done pile. And they would just keep doing that repetitive motion until that that shopping pile was gone and it was in the bagging pile. Um, and then we didn't accept any cash because money is hard. We've, you know, we, we, we try to learn money for a really long time. It's just very hard to learn how to count change. 
So we just did swiping a credit card is very repetitive, taught them how to swipe a credit card. And I'm telling you, by the end of summer, I had two kids with autism completely. I could walk away and not even be there. And they were running that stand all on their own. So um, I didn't, I didn't, after that, that's when I started getting involved in politics and I started working on campaigns. And so it kind of ended after that summer. Um, but I think it, at some point in my life, I'll pick it back up again. That's awesome. But you didn't, you, you're saying you didn't actually make the jerky. Oh, no, I didn't make the jerky. Yeah, that was a really long explanation. Um, but no, I didn't make the jerky. So no. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. That's, that's a really great, like, life skill, learning for independence skill, right? Yeah, yeah, it is cool. Okay, so um, I, one, one more. So you grew up in the Midwest, and I, I promised that I was going to try to find a way to, to make fun of that somehow. Um, but I, so I'm genuinely curious, because you, you also ended up in Philly, right, which is where my mom's from, and it's a whole different thing. So this is not really true or false, but this Coca-Cola I have here, is it soda or pop? So my 10-year-old self would call that pop. My 32-year-old self would call it soda. Excellent. Yeah. See, yep. you grew as a person into the word. <laughs> I'm better now for that, right? <laughs> yeah. Just don't go to Atlanta where they call everything Coke. And that's just- that, Is that what it is down there? Yeah. It's, oh. I'd, like a, I'd like a Sprite Coke, please. Like it's, it's a little weird. That is weird. I didn't know that. Huh. Now I want to go there and hear that. <laughs> but right. I, it just, I, I have a bunch of family in the Midwest still and it's pop. And it, it always, when I get there, it's always really interesting to all of a sudden hear, pop because I've just been so conditioned to call it soda. Right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, final final question. And this is the most, you know, this is the, the most difficult question of the entire interview. It's a two-parter, okay? okay. Um, first of all, what is your favorite place within the geographical boundaries of the state of Maryland? So your favorite Maryland place, right? And second, what is your favorite food within the geographical boundaries of the state of Maryland? I should be specific. I don't mean, it doesn't have to be a food that's unique to Maryland. You don't have to say crab cakes, like literally everyone else. Um, okay. So favorite Maryland place, favorite Maryland food, go. Okay. So favorite Maryland place changes. I'm a big camper. I love camping. It's one of, it's one of my favorite things to do. So it, it evolves because I get to see and spend time in all these different parts of Maryland. So it just recently switched. It used to be in, um, in Rock Hall, Maryland, a, a place called Bayshore Campground where you camp right on the bay. You're right there on the water. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Rock Hall, really cute small town. But just before session, I went to Knoxville, Maryland and did um, that hike where you can overlook Harper's Ferry in Leesburg, Virginia, and you have all the rivers converging. And I'm telling you, that has to be one of the most beautiful places in Maryland. So I'm thinking that's my new favorite. That's a good one. That's a yeah. good one. I mean, Maryland Heights and then also Weaverton Cliffs. Like there's yeah. such great hikes along there. Although if you like Bayside campgrounds, have you ever been to Jane's Island State Park in Crisfield? No. That's fantastic. So you, you camp right by the bay, just north of the, of the town of Crisfield, right? And then Jane's Island itself is this kind of uh, island that you can only get to by boat right offshore and you can kayak through it and, and there are beaches on it. It's, it's one of the coolest places I've ever been to camp in my life. I'm going there right away. I'm looking it up as soon as this is done. <laughs> favorite Maryland food. Favorite food. Okay. So my favorite Maryland food, um, it is, I, I do like crab cakes, but it is not my favorite. Um, my favorite place to eat is in district 11 it's in owings mills and it's called taj palace it's the best in, if you like indian food the best indian food you will ever eat is located in owings mills maryland that's a that's a i i am a huge fan of indian food that is a very strong claim it's taj yep. palace 
Yeah, Taj Palace, Owings Mills. It is so good. I love it. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Well, we'll look, have to come I, out and try it sometime. I, I'm going to now. I have I have a place in Burtonsville, Royal Indian Cuisine that I go to that I I absolutely adore. But I I will go up to District 11. I will go to Taj Palace. I, hey, after the pandemic, I'll come up and 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 bring my wife and we can all hang out together and eat Indian. Let's do it. I would love that. It's so good. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, great. Well, I, look, uh, Delia Belcastro, you are fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on House Highlights. It was, it was great getting to know you a little better. Thank you for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed talking with you today. And uh, I really, really look forward to when that tree transitions into, uh, into a St. Patrick's Day tree. I'll be watching. I'm going to start giving Twitter updates to keep it. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> Have a great evening. You too. See you later.